All right, guys, welcome to the pod. This is episode number 24, second one of 2020. Going back to our uh, interview game, cut our teeth a little bit in 2019 with John, Travis, Cameron, and an old man. I can't remember. Oh, yeah, Lance. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> no reason I forgot. Does that take There's a reason account? I forgot that <laughs> He's one. one of us. We sort of interviewed. But we're excited to get back into that today. Got a special guest. So this is Ryan. I've got Adam to my left at his mahogany desk. Mm-hmm. Got We've got up, Kyle, up for us for you. Mm-hmm. Lance as usual, and uh, Adam, why don't you introduce our special guest? Yeah, so uh, we are in the presence of royalty, as a matter of fact. Yes. Uh, we have got a Emmy-winning journalist with us. Ooh, 24 uh, Emmys, yeah, uh, is we, what I read. That's, yeah, exactly. That, do your homework. That's Jason, impressive. is that true? Impressive. I, I think give me a couple, yeah. I've, I've With it, a we're, couple. <laughs> we're in the range. Yeah, 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 right. yeah you know. <laughs> He lost count. <laughs> we flew him in from Dallas, Texas, uh, put him up in a nice place. The okay. common pod jet came to get me. That's right. Nice. That's <laughs> right. Free M&M's here. That's right. <laughs> we're just glad the jet started. So. <laughs> yeah, we've had some problems with that jet. <laughs> Uh, Jason Whiteley, who is a lot of things, probably closest to me is my brother-in-law, uh, but that's neither here nor there. So uh, if you're wondering how we got that much talent to come on the pod, that's <laughs> right. technically the tie-in. Clear so, this calendar. I've, right. I've got to go back. I've already right. got a question for Jason. Already? Yeah, I've done a lot of research, about 15 minutes. And, um, <laughs> I noticed that uh, of, your 24, <laughs> of your 24 Emmy Awards, you've got five for the Emmy for Best General Assignment Reporter. Now, what I felt interesting was I'm, I'm noticing a level of dominance here. We've got 2005, 2010, and then 2017 through 2019. So you're kind of like the Alabama of reporters right now. There's an asterisk can you, can in you there, comment too. on those? Yeah, no one else entered those the last three years. So <laughs> okay. That's did, why I got it. It was by your, default. Was your by mom default. submitted the Right, exactly. <laughs> she judged them as well. Yeah, she judged them, too. <laughs> Well, one of the things we'd like to do is we have this two-minute drills. It's generally based on number of questions to answer, but from an interview standpoint, it's just a simple one to two word response. You don't have to elaborate too much. So, uh, first word that comes to mind. Is that yeah, first word that comes start. to mind. Rapid fire. Cat. All right, here we go. <laughs> Lance, you got your time. Are we doing ninety seconds or an actual yeah, two minutes? Technically, we don't even do two. Minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Until we run out of questions. Yeah, right. That's exactly right. right just going to we'll start it, and we'll go from there. That sounds good. All right, here we go. You ready? Go. Uh, how old are you? Forty-seven. Uh, where are you from? Nashville. What's your wife's name? Kelly. How long have you been married? 19 years. This year will be 20. Uh, what was the last movie you cried in? Die Hard. <laughs> Christmas classic. Do you have any tattoos? Three. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, no, I have no tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> so that was news to me. That rattled out. Yeah, 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 right. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, All right, if you had to get a tattoo today, what would it be? Common pot, of course. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. On point. Right. Uh, what's your favorite food? Uh, Asian food, Japanese food, sushi. What's your favorite restaurant? Uh, there's a new Qdoba that just opened up near me, which, <laughs> which I prefer. It's next, um, to, next to Cheddar's. Actually, so. you know, my favorite restaurant is, is in uh, a little place in Japan. I mentioned it to you the other day. Mm-hmm. It's a little tiny place out of the way in Japan, and they serve um, yakitori, which is skewered chicken. And it's, it's hard to find, it's out of the way, and uh, I love that place. So every time I go to Japan, it takes me like a day to get to this place, but it's fantastic. Favorite place in the world to visit? Going wherever, wherever the plane's going, I'll go. Uh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Good answer. Uh, is Pluto a planet? No. What's your favorite podcast? Common Pod. Obviously. <laughs> uh, biggest celebrity pr- crush? Um, I'll follow her Barbara Walters? Anna, Anna Kendrick. Anna Kendrick. Oh, yeah. Anna oh, Kendrick. Yeah. That's nice. Yes. Yeah, yeah. big. Barbara Top Walters. bucket list item? Uh, Antarctica. Nice. Yeah. Nice. One of right off number seven, seven continents. Uh, who wears the pants in your family? I have them on today, but normally it's my wife. <laughs> um, they are nice pants. They are nice. They're Levi's. <laughs> uh, what journalists do you look up to the most? Journalist? Mm-hmm. I always like Peter Jennings a lot from ABC News. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's the one, who, one I looked up to the most. Yeah. Okay. That's the one. If you could have only one food condiment for the rest of your life, what would it be? Probably Grey Poupon. <laughs> <laughs> if it comes with a limo. Yeah, of course. Uh, if you could have any job in the world, what would it be? Wow. Uh, probably making ships in a bottle in Little Cayman. Um, I, I don't know. Let's, let's see. Any job in That's the world. Good, that right? rolled off pretty quick. Yeah, yeah right. he thought about that. Um, I, 
I'm, I'm gonna stick with my original answer. I, I can't think of another one. Right. Okay, I have well, a good job now. So. In time, yeah. Yeah. time's up. Two minutes, give or take. Yeah. It was interesting. We stuck with <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. Amazing how perfect that ended. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I wanted to add one. I mean, if you had to, what's your favorite quirk about uh, Adam? <laughs> favorite one? We can at least save it. Uh, you know, it's funny because it's uh, his daughters have received it too. It's those those faces. Have you ever seen Molly, his daughter, give that? <laughs> oh, very uh, animated. You know, yeah. yeah, I'm like, where'd you get that? And we were traveling not too long ago, and he did the same face, just, you know, separately. Couldn't believe it. I'm like, dude, that's that was handed down DNA right there. Yeah. That's part of the strand. <laughs> did, did Molly learn it from him, or did he learn it from Molly? Oh, I know. I think that's inside the DNA. Yeah. I don't yeah. know where they got it from. Yeah, we have some practice. That's, the girl, <laughs> that that's the girl with many faces, for sure. All right. We'll be back in just a moment. <laughs> All right, so we kind of want to lead this off. I have Jason. I've built this up in my mind. I want you to tell me that I've got this exactly right. So, ten-year-old Jason's running around his neighborhood, and this is when you decide you want to be a reporter because you knew exactly what caused the big fight around the flagpole. You knew what was <laughs> going to happen before dinner was even cooked. You knew it was coming for dinner. You were basically an investigative reporter at age ten. Is that pretty much how you got into? I had business? sources all over the neighborhood. Now, that's what yeah. I knew. I knew. I knew I had it right. When I was ten, I had a gray huffy, and I wanted to be a cop because I watched Chips and Ponch and John all the time. We even wore our winter gloves around in Bellevue <laughs> on Harrow Drive uh, as we rode up and down, and it was so hot wearing those gloves oh, yeah. in the winter time. But on the opening of Chips, do you remember that? They had a tight shot of him when he's changing gears, when John's changing gears. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yellow yeah. Carhartt gloves he's wearing. Yeah. Before my time. Yeah. yeah. Was that before your time? Lance is our millennial. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you, though. They have that in uh, reruns, I think. Um, no, you know, I, I wanted to be a reporter. I, I wanted to be a photographer for a long time, a news photographer. And we got a video camera when I was 12, 13, 14 years old. And the we would make magic shows downstairs. <laughs> Illusions. <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we would like, I'm going to make this disappear. This bowl disappear in front of us. So we'd go like this and we'd stop recording and somebody else would come and move the bowl and we'd start recording again. So the next thing you see is the same thing and the bowl, bowl would disappear. Down. There are a few VHS tapes somewhere, I'm sure, that have some of these early shows on them, which would be... That's where Chris Angel got a lot of his inspiration. That was probably yeah. it, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I do know, yeah, right? Chris Angel. <laughs> So yeah, I, I want to be a photographer. I liked uh, I liked the the video camera, and um, I started shooting some. And I realized there were people who were a lot better at it than me. So I said, okay, well, let me just be a reporter. So yeah. you're you basically decided that at a fairly young age. Is that a was that a college time decision, or is that something you're in high school? Like, okay, this yeah, is kind college. Of yeah, yeah. It was. I, I knew I wanted to do something in broadcasting um, in high school, and then in college is when I realized there were people who could shoot a lot better than me shoot video a lot better than me we're really good at it so that's when i decided to shift jobs and be, be a reporter on, yeah. be on the other side yeah. of the camera actually left college yeah. with a plan yeah <laughs> it's like a great <laughs> idea <laughs> yeah. so how do you basically fresh out of college just like you can probably tell this to any college age kids that right. are breaking into any business at this point but i gotta imagine the the journalist journalist business is very difficult to break in like how how did you get your Cut, start cutting your teeth in that business. Yeah, when I went to high school at Hillwood High School over in West Nashville, um, we had uh, like I remember Dare the, the mm-hmm. drug oh, yeah, Dare yeah, to yeah. kids off drugs. I think that's probably still around. I, don't I think know. it probably yeah. is. They yeah. drive nice cars. The cops yeah. wouldn't come in and tell you to stay off drugs. And we had one of those at our school, and the local TV station showed up. Well, I got a card from one of the guys. Said, "Hey, man, do you mind if I give you a call sometime? I'm going to graduate in in uh, June." And so I held on to the guy's card, and I called the guy up uh, from Channel 2, WKRN in Nashville. Mm-hmm. said, hey, I graduated. I start college in, in August, but do you mind if I come over, hang around the station? So I came over and started hanging around the station in, uh, like in June, and I was there for like eight years. Yeah, okay. I, I got hired like four months later when the first Gulf War started in 1990 and uh, stayed there for eight years, kind of did like 10 jobs, uh, but yeah, left in 1998. So you had the, so, kind of the straight cat philosophy if you hang around long enough they'll give you something to do i did did everything when i wasn't at school at western kentucky i was down there uh at channel two all the time fellow hilltopper next to you yeah yeah Yeah. well well, my wife she ran track for western no kidding Mm -hmm. wow i ran down i-65 to channel two a lot (laughs) i put like 180,000 miles in my toyota camry in that time that was the longest 55 miles in the world too yeah yeah Straight, straight down. Yeah, yeah and in yeah. Texas, I'll see something 55 miles away. I'm like, I'll be there in you know, an hour or so. But I could not stand that drive between yeah. Bowling Green and Nashville. <laughs> like, just kill me now, you know. Yeah. 
<laughs> so I know Demetria Kalodimo. She was NBC, right? Or she was four. Mm-hmm. She went on. Okay, I was just curious if you ever met the legendary. I never Demetria met Kalodimos. her. No, I never met her. But I mean, she she wasn't just an anchor and presenter. She was a fantastic journalist. She'd go out mm-hmm. and do uh, do really good award winning stories. And one of them she did that you know made national news is I don't know if you guys remember, but uh, I think it was UT Knoxville was doing body farms. Do you remember these? Yes. yes. Body farms. Yeah. Well, oh, you, yeah. You donate yeah. yourself. Yeah, film yep. me in. yeah you yeah. donate your body to science, and you know you think, well, maybe they'll like you know learn how to operate yeah. in arms. No, they were taking. They were doing studies where they were taking all these yep. uh, cadavers and laying them out in fields to see how, uh, you know, they they weather with time. But they weren't telling the people, uh, you know, hey, before you die, if you're going to donate, donate your body, mm-hmm. then this is one thing we're going to do to it. Uh, so, Demetria exposed that back in late '80s, early '90s. And I think they stopped doing that uh, up there. But I mean, so. all these people were, yeah. you know, these bodies were laying out in these fields, in these hilltops. Probably oh, wouldn't agree to that on the front end. Like, we're just going to lay you out in yeah. the field and let you decay. Yeah, right. that sounds great for, for, for science. She, yeah. she did that. And, I mean, that was that mm. was a huge story that, uh, you know, everyone else is chasing car wrecks and shootings yeah. and stuff like that. And here she is breaking <laughs> this national news that this is what's happening in Tennessee. Well, Demetria is getting a lot of play on this podcast. Y'all remember Travis? She, you Travis. should have her on the podcast. Yeah. Well, you know? I think we we'll should. We're working out towards it because <laughs> Travis, people are. Let's out get there. her on the phone. Yeah. Go ahead, call Travis her. Howe. We interviewed him, you know, several episodes ago, and uh, he he's a uh, punk rock like drummer. And uh, one of his band names that was up for consideration was Demetri Demetri Kalimas. Kalimas. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> I figured it played a little too much locally, I think. But That'd yeah. be great. So in those eight years, you're kind of in Nashville at, at Channel 2. Did you kind of like have some breakthroughs along the way, or was there one big thing where kind of you started really building some momentum with your career? I, I didn't have a lot of contacts. So when people are, I think, people I know when they're starting out in, in, in TV news, if they have fewer contacts, that means you're doing fewer of the hard stories. You're probably chasing car wrecks and stuff like that. Or you're trying to go out, and what I was doing is trying to hone my craft with storytelling, nice storytelling, um, feature stories. So I did a, a few stories, but one I was really proud of is a guy, the Nashville Sounds game over at Greer Stadium. Did you ever go over there? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah back in the day. A million times, yeah. Best stadium in the country, in my opinion. Um, but we had it. Rest grew in up, peace. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. Hey, rest in peace. <laughs> God bless it. Um, we did a story over there about there was a guy who used to, to used to sell beer, and he would rhyme everything. Come get your beer while I'm in the atmosphere. That remember guy. this guy? Yes. I'd he rather a drink a Miller guy. than date Phyllis Diller. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember that guy. We did wow. a story on this guy. Yes. He was fantastic. I can't remember his name, but he was fantastic. But few people knew that, that he had AIDS. Hmm. He got AIDS wow. through a, a blood transfusion. Um, and so we ended up doing a story on him, and that was the story that kind of helped me move, um, move out to my next job. But one, another story that I really liked at the time was when Nashville went from – is it still six digits to call somebody here, or is it do you have to have no, area code? All nine, or yeah. 10 now. That's right. Well, they started a new area code in like '96 or '97 here. Yeah, um, I can't. That's about right. I can't yeah. remember which one it was. Uh, I don't think I had a phone then, so I'm not sure. Yeah, but they started a new area code, and so we did an interview with Bell South um, when they were in the Batman Tower downtown Nashville. And the way we did the interview is I did it from a payphone, and so I put the put the dime or quarter in whatever it would cost at the time, and, and dialed him up, and then he was at a payphone. And we did the interview back and forth. Then we did the wide shot, and you can see the payphones are right next to each other, right downtown on First Avenue, um, right by the Cumberland River. Yeah, it was just kind of a cool kind of a thing. catch thing. Yeah. And at the very end, I checked to see if the quarter came back, just the way we used to do all right. the time. Did y'all yeah. ever do that? Oh, see yeah. if the quarter came back. Yeah, I remember it never came phone. back. No, it never, it never came, came back. back. Lance, so Lance is saying, "What's a payphone?" <laughs> <I know. laughs> We're doing chips, Demetri Caladimos payphones. How old are you? How old are you? Uh, thirty-five. I'll be thirty-six in July. That's not, yeah. that's not young. He's right. the yeah. he's the top of the millennial scale. Yeah. yeah. So something, <laughs> something I've never known or understood. You mentioned several stories. So like, are you? Is it like somebody? Uh, you know, the suits up top say, Jason. Here's a story. You need to go follow it, or is it you just grind and saying, I've got to find something? Yeah, that's a great question because um, at the stations I worked for in Houston and Dallas, it's always been, you've got to go find a story and you have to find, you have to bring in two story ideas a day. So the way it works is um, every day at like 9 a.m. we'll get together, all the reporters and the producers will all get together and we'll have, we call it editorial meeting and we'll pitch our stories to each other. Um, But you have to have two story ideas a day. They can't be a local angle to a national story like the, um, you know, something big happens in New York can't be, well, people here are worried about it. So they're going to start looking out Mm. to do similar precautions it has to be an original 
you know, community-based stories. We have to go find those. That's hard. That's why I have gray hair now <laughs> is because of that. So I've done that for 20 years. Um, in the smaller cities, um, it's people usually don't stay as long. I don't want to say smaller cities, but in cities that are, you know, Nashville, Austin uh, size, and Chattanooga and Tuscaloosa and Macon, Georgia, people don't stay in those cities as long. Reporters don't. So they usually will take kind of anything that's that's handed down. But it's rare. It, it happens occasionally where where uh, a boss will say, "This we want you to go do this." Yeah. These days, people will tweet the station or email the station and say, "Hey, did you know this?" And that's how we get a lot of stuff uh, as well too. When leads on yeah, things the, that investigate, people say this is going on. That happens a lot. People don't realize that a, a lot of the news, um, especially in, in the newspapers and uh, on on some TV stations like the one I work for. A lot of our stories come from people saying, did you know this was happening? Hmm. That's how a lot of things are broken. Whistleblowers. And you yeah. hear about whistleblower in D.C. all the time. But there are, there are a million of them in private corporations and hospitals and schools. Yeah. Here on Common Pod, I got two sources on Common Pod y'all don't even know about. Two oh, people are working sweet. for me. <laughs> yeah. But they're all over the place. And and people, I don't know if they want justice or what, but they want a lot of this stuff to get out. And is this maybe coming to you on Twitter or other sources? Twitter, text. Yeah. I mean, you know, people say, can I remain anonymous? I'm like, absolutely. I'll, not, I'll never, you know, you don't have to tell me your name, but yeah. give me something supporting yeah. what you're telling me, right. and I will look into it. I won't go on the air with it, but I'll look into it. And if, mm-hmm. if I can take this nugget and turn it into something else, a seed and turn it into a plant, then... Then I'll go and do that. So, I would say so I'm, oh. I'm picturing like Saturday Night Live. They're you know the the writers pitch skits and they're, yeah, they're, right. and they're chosen. Is it similar dynamic? Like it is. You're, you're throwing out two and you're hoping every day that yours gets chosen. Oh yeah, and then they'll say you know the joke that I do all the time is you know I'll pitch two stories um, and and then they'll you know they'll say okay great. What else do you have? Like, are you <laughs> oh. kidding me? I spent the last five <laughs> hours working on these stories, or yeah. two weeks working on these. I don't have yeah. anything else. Um. Or yeah, or they'll say, uh, you know, what else you have? And they'll say, ah, well, I also forgot to mention the second coming of Jesus, and I know where Osama bin Laden was buried, but uh, I don't know if y'all wanted those or not. I didn't bring them up today. <laughs> yeah, uh, but there's there's a lot of pressure in a lot of in a lot of newsrooms, print and TV, uh, or digital and and TV too. To come up with something nobody else has, because you can, you know, you can go to so many of these websites and find the same story. The Carnival cruise ships that crashed against each other. Yeah. Yep. Everybody yeah. had that. The BBC, Australian Broadcasting Service, Channel 5, you name it. Everybody had that. You want to find something nobody else had to get unique clicks on that. And well, I got to believe that's gotten a lot harder, right? With, oh, it's with hard. social media, because, man, you... Th- have you ever, you you probably had like where you're on the story and then the top gets blown off of it about the time you're ready to put your finishing touches yeah. on it. Yeah, that 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 has that sometimes that happens, um, and it's usually like we had it happen not too long ago in Dallas where a reporter was getting ready to break something and the police department didn't want it out, so the police department decided to send out a press release to everybody, so that would kind of you know rip the scab off our thing, um, off our story. But our story ended up having legs and we had more stuff than they realized right. that we had. But yeah, that unfortunately that does happen yeah. too. So what's your? I mean, I'm sure every every journalist, like all of us, say, well, we all bring something different to the podcast. We all have different personalities. So for you, what do you? What stories? What type of stories do you find yourself like gravitating towards? And then like, I guess part two is how do you find? Like, where do you normally get your sources? That's a good question. Um, I'm nice to people. I'm kind to people. And I'm fair to people. And that's where I think you know, if I do a story with somebody, I'm, I'll always follow up with them. Um, usually, you know, good or bad, and say, hey, did you see the story? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, or hang on to my number. I'll give my card out all the time. Hang on to my number. If I can ever help you out with anything, give me a call. One story that I really liked is a um, a woman who had breast cancer, and we did this. She called me up, and I'd forgotten that I had talked to her ten years earlier huh. about a different story. They were changing her electric meter out, and she she uh, you know had a faulty electric meter, and it was charging her a lot of her and her family a lot of money. I'd forgotten that I'd talked to her for that, but then she calls me up and tells me, hey, I have this very unique, rare form of breast cancer. I'd like for you to, you know, to come along with me on this journey and, and show people about it. Um, so that's that's an example of it, how, you know, being nice to people, being fair to people, and, and giving them your number. I give my personal number all the time. Um, and text is the best way to get me. I so, think most reporters are like that, too. Okay, you kind of start, I guess, breaking through there, and you, you get noticed. Because I'm thinking a lot of these jobs, like you talk about the smaller cities or your stepping stone jobs. It's probably why yeah. a lot of young, talented people don't stay in those positions for very long. So you've obviously gotten noticed by maybe a, a larger uh, city or uh, whatever. How does that kind of work? What, what's the next phase in, in your case? Yeah, I mean, you know, 
Nashville's a great place everyone wants to live. Unfortunately, in TV news, they don't pay you enough to live in Nashville right. very long. Austin, Texas, same way. You know, these are great cities that, that you just don't get paid enough in. So you go to try to, you know, the larger cities where you would probably get paid more. Um, I had looked at several different cities, and I ended up getting a, a friend of mine went up to St. Louis, Missouri. He had just moved, left Channel 2, and went up there. And he got me on up there at the CBS station. My first day on the job up there, I was across the river in Fairview Heights, Illinois, stayed at a little Drury Inn, and it was, they just had a snowstorm. And it was minus 14 degrees wind chill. This was an excellent decision. And I'm on the way in, I'm like, dude, there is no way right. I am staying here. Great people, I had not even been to the station yet, great people, but I'm like, who, who can live in this? Who lives in this stuff? What is this? So um, I worked there two and a half years, and uh, another buddy had just gotten a job who left Channel 2 Nashville, just gotten a job in Houston. So I went down to Houston for eight years after that, where my first day on the job was 107, and the humidity was like <laughs> Yeah, it's unreal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You like the swings. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, no more snow for this guy. I'm not doing the, I, the snow. I don't, I don't mind. The minus 14 degrees. Yeah. yeah it's that's, a little excessive for me. Yeah. So you went, over the top. you went to Houston uh, and then left Houston when 08? Is that right? Left Houston yeah, at the end of 07, first of 08, yeah, okay. and went to Dallas. My right. boss left Houston. The guy who hired me in Houston left and went to Dallas and took me up to Dallas with him, too. So I never thought I was going to leave Houston. I mean, it was affordable to live. It was a bigger city. You could get on a plane, fly anywhere you wanted to. Um, but then, you know, your boss says, hey, you want to go with me up here? Well, yeah, why not? So. Obviously, there's a network there, just like it is any other business that you get connected with people. But I would think even in that business, it's probably more, especially when you just listen, you talk about moving around. It's usually connected to a friend that knows somebody or a boss. So how does that kind of fraternity work? And, and then is it is it a pretty tight knit group or is it segmented or how does that? Yeah, work? I mean, it's all who you know. You've heard that right. But it really is. TV news is really a small, a small group. Most TV news stations are like our, the newsroom in Dallas is, has 110, 120 people probably that work there. Those people came from Oklahoma city, from Nashville, from all these other places. Everybody knows somebody. So if, you know, we're looking to hire somebody, they might say, Hey, did you, you worked in Nashville? Did you ever know so-and-so? And they'll say, yeah, he's great, great reporter. No, this guy is a complete pain, or, <laughs> you know, girl, whatever it is. So it's a small fraternity. So, you know, that's why work hard, be fair. Don't burn bridges. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. yeah. When you're in Dallas, what, what kind of level of reporting you're at? Obviously, now you're you're a senior. You know, you're, you're one of the higher people, I would imagine, where you're at. So kind of where when you arrive in Dallas, where, where are you at on kind of the ladder at that point? Yeah, I'd been in Texas already for eight years, so I knew kind of a little the lay of the land. I'd been to Austin, the state capital, to cover a lot of stuff. I knew who the players were. So it's a lot easier. You know, it's an easy move from Memphis to Nashville because you know people. It's right. New streets and new uh, restaurants and stuff like that. But um, going there, I'd already covered some bigger stories, um, you know, broken some some pretty good stories but like some of the big stories y'all might have heard of um tropical storm allison was a big one that that hit and cost five billion dollars in damage to houston doesn't sound like a lot of money today at the time it was a costliest storm ever hurricane katrina hit in new orleans well people got stuck there and they all ended up being put on buses and shipped to houston and they were in the astrodome there um, there was a, a little company called Enron that went under yeah, I heard a that. few mm-hmm. years back, uh, covered that, covered the trial of Ken Lay and Jeffrey Skilling, uh, the space shuttle when, when Columbia disintegrated on reentry, Johnson Space Centers in Houston. Um, a weird story about that. It happened on like a, a Saturday morning on reentry, and I didn't work Saturday mornings. Phone rang, and I looked over, and that's when we had caller ID on an old landline. It was oh, like 04. Yeah. <laughs> I looked over and it, and it said the station was calling. I'm like, dude, it's like 8 a.m. Saturday morning. No, it's going to go to voicemail. <laughs> so uh, it goes to voicemail. And then I hear my boss leave a message. And the, the recorder was in the kitchen and she left a message. And I'm like, oh, I'll call her back later. And then I started thinking, it's Saturday at 8 a.m. Why is she at the station calling me? Hmm. At the time, um, I heard it from the kitchen and her leaving a message. And I thought she said, somebody threw up. We need you to come in. <laughs> and I was, I was thinking, <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, hell no, I'm not coming in. I said, I'm like, you know what? I'll call is, her later. Is this my demotion to janitor? Right. Or how's this? Yeah. And so I walk in there, hit play. And she said, the shuttle blew up. We need you to come in. I'm like, whoa. So I lived about 25 miles from the Johnson Space Center, as far as you could live away from it. And man, I, I probably broke every speed law, but thank goodness there was nobody on the tollway that morning on the southern uh, sector of Houston to get there. So I was the first reporter that got there, started, you know, um, 
getting ready to go on. Then our space reporter shows up. I disconnect everything, give it to her, and she's on the air for like 10 hours straight uh, from there. But it was crazy um, to see that stuff, to, to, to witness that. It was, it was so horrible because, the, you know, the astronauts in that story, they lived there. They yeah. lived in Houston. Right. They trained in Houston. They, mm-hmm. they worked at the Johnson Space Center. So it, people knew them all. Rick Husband was the captain. He was from Amarillo, uh, Texas, but he lived in Houston. So it's, it's, you know, for that story, it really affects everybody in that community. Yeah. I, that's something I wanted to ask. I mean, I think about, like, police officers. We've talked about them before. And they, yeah. in a sense, you become probably desensitized to some things that you see over and over. But for you as a reporter, you talked about, you threw out a couple of uh, emotional stories there. What would you say of, of all the stories you covered is the one that impacted you most, like, emotionally? I, I think it's the uh, story about the woman who had breast cancer. I've become good friends with her family. She had uh, like a little red spot on one of her breasts. And she said, yeah, it's weird. What is this? She goes in, get it checked out. Doctor said, no, it's probably your bra is too tight or something like that. Don't worry about it. She gets somebody else to look at it. They said, there's nothing to it. Don't worry about it. She starts doing her own research and finds some stuff um, that suggests, no, it might be a little more serious. And she finds another doctor. Um, It took 11 months to find somebody to correctly diagnose this stuff. Yeah. It's inflammatory breast cancer. And what made it what made it emotional for me is a lot of times in, in TV news, as soon as you walk in with a camera or turn a microphone on, you immediately change everything. People aren't the same. You know, people you know get a little more buttoned up. Well, let me tell you, you know, how, how it is. She was she opened up. She's real. She was real with us. She let us go in with the doctor's appointments, um, getting uh, scans and all that type of stuff. Yeah. It was, uh, and, and the stuff we came back with. I remember we, we first did the interview with her, and uh, we sat down, and I thought it was going to air that night at 10 o'clock because we went over like 4 o'clock to her house, and she said, yeah, I have this cancer. I want to get the word out on it. I said, yeah, cool. We'll come over, and we'll do a story with you. And we got into the interview, like, second question in, she starts being raw, real, and crying, and I'm we're all crying, me and the <laughs> photographer crying. And one of the things she said, she said, um, uh, I'm not necessarily afraid it's terminal. I'm not necessarily afraid to die. I'm just afraid to say goodbye. Yes, I'm like, wow. So we got done. I called the, the producer and I said, hey, this is not going to be on tonight. We'll have this on later. But um, it's it's good stuff. But it, that's that's a – I feel like also after we aired that story, another woman who actually happened to be an oncology nurse saw the story and realized that what she had too mm-hmm. was the same thing. So it, it ended up uh, you know helping other people too. Right. Yeah. So. I got to imagine that's the most – we've had just a tiny taste of a couple of topics we've talked about that people said, you know, it really affected them and something they were struggling with. I've got to believe, is that probably the most satisfying thing in your job is when you strike a chord with a human interest story or, you know, or a family that, that maybe a, a little ways down the road somebody else reaches out to you and said, hey, you know, because of what you – that interview or whatever – my mom found out she had that breast cancer or, you know, I was able to reconnect with somebody that I'd lost or, you know, some, is that probably the most satisfying part of your job? Yeah. Maybe I'm the only one, maybe I'm weird. I don't know. But when I put a story on TV, you never know if anyone's really watching. Right. Or if you you tweet it out, yeah, you might get a retweet or a like or something like that. You never know if anyone's really watching, but when you have somebody say that helped me connect the dot to this, or that helped me, um, you know, do X, Y, or Z, that's when you realize that you can, and you are making a difference. And not every day. These stories aren't every day. You right. Know, there's the, right. The stuff that's on every day is the stuff that, you know, might turn some people off. It's, yeah. it's, it's more the investigative. It's the harder stories, and it's holding people accountable. At what point in your career were you comfortable enough to, when you're working on something like, okay, we've got a, this is a hammer of a story here. When this drops, this is really going to be. When did you realize that, and kind of what is that story when you're working on something like, this is good, I know I've got something here? I have a political TV program in Houston, too. Uh, in Dallas, rather. So we get to interview, uh, you know, a lot of elected officials. But sometimes we'll do stories and, you know, sources will call us and say, hey, I have this is what's going on there, not what they're telling you. And the source will, will provide us, you know, specific information that's irrefutable, emails or documents or something like that. And when you get that stuff, that's when you know you got them. And so, you, you know, you make sure that that's all buttoned up and tied up, and then you reach out to them and say, hey, listen, this is what's going on. And I, some reporters will not tell the, let's say, quote, target of investigation, will not tell them everything until they sit them down for an interview. 
I'll tell you right up front. I got I got this on you. I got this on you. And I got this on you. You want to talk about it or not? Because we're putting this stuff on. I mean, and, I'll, very, and I'll give them time to respond to it. You're very much like a detective building a case, you know. And obviously, yeah. you got to have proof, or you can't just have a bunch of unsubstantiated claims that lead nowhere. Yeah, you got to. You discredit yourself. We go out and knock on doors all the time, and that's how you find stuff. Yeah. And and you know. We've had police called on us. I've been mistaken for an FBI agent. I've been <laughs> proud, in the proud FBI. moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, mistaken for uh, uh, insurance claims adjusters and tornado scenes. Uh, Come on over here. This is where it's at. I want to show you. Uh, no, ma'am, I work for Channel 8. This is not it. Um, but, yeah, people mistake you all the time. But you have to get out there and, and knock on doors. Here's a good example for you. We were told that this a local judge in Dallas was faking names to get on the ballot, to get his name on the ballot. So to run for office in Texas, I'm, I presume it's like this in Tennessee, you have to get so many people to say, you know, 250 people to say, I want Jason Whiteley to run for this office. So we were told that uh, this judge who was running for reelection uh, was faking names on there. So I said, well, you know, to the sources, well, show me what you have. And so he gave me the petitions, which are public record and anybody can go get them. But this individual source showed me the the, the uh, names, and you have each voter has to sign. And this one, two or three sheets, this this one column showed everyone looked like they wrote with the same same mm. uh, signature. Rookie mistake. Oh yeah. And <laughs> then on go, the, you gotta go left change up your pens, have your wife do it, you know, <laughs> yeah. whatever. Yeah. And then on the right side, the dates of birth, some people like were born in 09, 02, I mean, they're like nine years old. They're not voters. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So Brilliant. I said, you know what? There might, there's something to this. I'm not sure what it is, but there's something to it. Let's go knock on some doors. So we went to a, a few places. We couldn't find the streets. And then we, okay, we found some streets. Um, and then the, the actual addresses didn't exist. We showed like empty lots. And then we go find, a f- we found this one guy and knocked on his door several times. He had a huge dog and I didn't know if, you know, I didn't. Sometimes people don't like when reporters knock on the door, right? You never know what's going to happen. So we went to this guy's address first because he supposedly signed this. He didn't answer the door. We go back at the end of the day because we see a truck in the driveway, and he answers the door. I say, hey, I'm looking for so-and-so, and he comes out. Yeah, yeah, it's me. I say, hey, man, is this your, um, is that your, your signature here? He said, yeah, that's, that's my name. It's not my signature. I didn't sign this. Hmm. Then they saw a TV camera on the front lawn, so the rest of the family came out. And they say, yeah, well, that's, uh, we're rolling on all this. <laughs> that's, that's my cousin. cousin uh, it's, it's my aunt. She lives in El Paso. Hmm. This is, uh, oh, this guy, he lives in El Salvador. <laughs> <laughs> so he had, this guy running for judge had all these names that weren't real people. They were real people, but these real people didn't physically sign it. And so we did that story. We knew we had him. Oh, yeah. Um, so what, what's so we, your feeling on the inside? Like when you're well, you're getting like the story and you're like, this is breaking, this is this is proving whatever you're trying to prove. How are you feeling? Like well, excitement? Is it like Christmas morning? Well, you never adult? know. I mean, what do you mean? Uh, yeah, right. No, I mean it's something like that. When you can, when you that took three or four days to physically go knock on doors, and we took our cameras, we shot these empty lots, and then we went knocked on doors and, and got people to come out and talk to us. Uh, one lady lived on, on a block for the block for 35 years, and she said, "Yeah, 3529 doesn't exist. I know. I moved in here in 1967." <laughs> well, you would know, ma'am. Okay, check that uh, box. But you know, it's it, it's a good feeling because at, at the end of the day, you hold these people accountable. This, this guy was running for reelection. Um, he had signed his name on it, swearing it was a truth. You can't. This is a public document. You, you yeah. can't. You can't do that. Just the kind of you, person you don't want well, in public I mean, office. You, yeah. I, I didn't know the guy. People, I, I knew people who knew. Some of my sources knew this guy, and said he's a great guy. So I'm sure he's a great guy. Yeah. But you can't. You can't do this. You got a problem with the truth. Yeah, you can't do <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. So the, the coolest thing I extracted from all that is that you have confidential informants. Yeah, right. that's pretty awesome. I can see why you were confused for <laughs> FBI. <laughs> <laughs> now the FBI thing. We were in. Um, we were in Austin, and a uh, a guy. 10 to 15 years ago, flew a plane into the IRS building in Austin, uh, out in one of the suburbs. So we had an address where we thought the guy lived. And at the time, we had all black explorers. And they had, uh, we have scanners in our cars too. So we had like a, a shark's fan of antennas on it. And this guy had blacked out windows on it too. So we roll up and it's, I think it's like November, December, it's a little cold. So I bust out and just wear my black jacket out of a black car with antennas. With your Kevlar vest <laughs> and your helmet on. And I'm, I'm like knocking helmet on the on. door, and the neighbor comes out and says, Agent, 
agent, he's not over there. He's not. He doesn't live there anymore. Agent. Agent. <laughs> I said, I'm sorry. She so, said, yeah, I thought you were the FBI. I said, no, ma'am, I work for Channel 8 in Dallas. <laughs> all this door knocking, it, it, like it, and when you're doing your investigative research yeah. and all that, it, it makes me kind of get scared in a way. So I'm wondering, like, is there ever a time where you've actually been kind of fearful of what you're walking into or you're kind of feel like you're in danger? Yeah, you, you, you never know. I mean, everyone's caring these days, right? Yeah, you, you never know what. <laughs> Especially any, where you live, right? Yeah. Texas, it's, it's where the gun was invented, you know, created, invented there. Um, there, there are a few times where I've asked people to, uh, other people at the station to join me on things. So mm-hmm. usually when I go out knocking on doors and stuff, it's me and a photographer. Yeah. So there's two of us there usually. If I'm gonna get shot, I want you to. Yeah. <laughs> I want somebody to at least call nine one one so they can try to save me. Um, but there have been a few times where I wasn't sure how it was going to go down. Yeah. Uh, or, or what these people's reaction would be to us being there. And so other people have, have joined us out. On the flip side of kind of what I was getting at earlier, have you ever had one of those stories, you're kind of working on it and you put something together, but it's you're kind of like, man, I don't know about this. This kind of seems like a dud and this all is going time. nowhere. And then, you know, all of a sudden you it, it, may, it gets legs and it goes and you're like, I didn't see that coming, but it ends up kind of being a big story. Yeah, uh, more often than not, it was the first half of that question where, we have, and one thing that we try to do is prove ourselves wrong. Mm-hmm. Are you sure that this guy has fake signatures? Well, what if it's just X, Y, or Z? So we we try to kill our stories, investigative stories, uh, if we can ahead of time. Um, but yeah, sometimes we'll we'll do things, and it's like that the judge story I just mentioned. I, I didn't know if we were, all I had was a sheet of paper. I had like five sheets of paper, part of his um, list of people to get on the ballot. I didn't know if we were gonna get anything from it. Let's just go spend a day knocking on doors see if we can get anything. Yeah, first time we, you know, we didn't get very much. And you keep working, you keep working, and finally you find somebody. And all you need is one good person for TV. You already have the evidence. You know you have a number of people who are questionable. And you find one good person, like the guy who said, no, 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 that's not that's my name but not my signature. And this guy lives in Central America, and he's on here. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's really interested in you. Yeah. Becoming- yeah, that was good. I'll have to show you that clip later. Yeah, I'll have to, just, I'll just like that fifteen-second soundbite. It's pretty funny. Yeah, I'd, I'd like. She lives in El Salvador. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess I got a two-part question. I'll ask the first one. Uh, journalistic integrity is a big thing that you hear a lot about in the mm-hmm. news today. It's questioned at times, right or wrong. I mean, what yeah. what is what does that mean to you? The phrase journalistic integrity for me is being fair. Uh, that, that's what it means for me. And, I, and the other thing that I think, the first part of your question, I think people confuse reporters a lot. When people think of journalists, they think of CNN or Fox or MSNBC. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Never mind that those three channels are 20 years old, 25 years old. Uh, you know, journalism has been around much longer right. than that. But uh, to me, those those words mean being fair, being honest with them. And that's what I'm always going to be. It's like some people will, you know, I've worked at some stations where they'll say, uh, you know, I'd like for you to come over and talk about, well, what do you want to talk about? Well, just come on over and we'll talk about it. No, I'm not. I'm going to be fair with you. Dude, I got the goods on you. And if you want to defend yourself, more than happy to give you today. Actually, yeah. I'll give you tomorrow, too. I'll hold the story for two or three days. You think of what you think you're talking points. Come on over. Yeah. So that's what it means to me. Giving, giving someone a fair and honest chance. So I guess the second part is I, obviously you being uh, in the business, I'm sure you're able to sniff out maybe a story that you feel like, I don't know if that's all legit. I mean, I'm sure you, I'm, yeah. I'm assuming you run into that. So, I mean, walk us through that. You see something, you're like, no, that's not right. How do you, yeah, how could, do you process that? We, we had, here's an example I can think of in Ellis County, uh, which is just south of Dallas. There was a, an 18 year old boy who was a star football player to school down there and um, all around great guy. I didn't know this guy, but he got arrested all of a sudden for rape. And they indicted this guy on rape. And it's like, it just didn't make sense because it supposedly happened by a friend uh, of this guy. So we start, I'm, I'm immediately suspicious when these things pop up. Um, we start finding out a little more, and the person who was accusing him of rape is somebody he didn't want to go to homecoming or prom with. Oh, yeah. Red flag number one. We, uh, mom and dad immediately talk. Usually, if you're accused of a felony crime, you're probably not going to say anything to right. a TV news reporter. And they're right. like, "Come on in, mm-hmm. we'll <laughs> tell you anything you want to know." That's one red flag for me. If someone's talking like that, I immediately know. Okay, there's probably probably something a little deeper to this. Uh, the DA down there, the district attorney, prosecutors takes this case to trial, and I'm like, I can't wait for this. And the young woman who was making the allegation. 
uh, decided in the hallway outside the courtroom that she was not going to testify and didn't want to pursue this. Mm. What does that tell you? Mm. Yeah. Huh? No. And you know what they did? They dropped the charges. Yeah. But the damage was done to this guy because he, mm-hmm. he lost his scholarship. I believe it was to Oklahoma or somewhere like that. He had to sit out a year or two. And you're immediately stained. Yeah. You're yeah. immediately stained. Because if you search, you know, search somebody's name, you're going to see the first news article came up. You might not see the third or fourth that came up, but you're going to see the first one. He has to explain this the rest of his life. And generally speaking, the, the whoever would report something along those lines, is it because they just want to get their name out for a story? And they are they rushing it? Do they truly believe it and they're rushing it? Or, you know, are they just trying to get their name out? And Like if they didn't follow that story up? Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, a lot of times people will see, you know, a crime and will say, you know, this, well, this happened. And I can report that because I got a sheet of paper saying, yeah, right here it did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of these you have to look a little deeper into. Yeah. I mean, I'd say, uh, I don't want to say all of them. Some of them are very clear cut. I mean, I've, I've witnessed executions. And I, I when I first witnessed an execution in, in uh, Huntsville, Texas, I, w- I really wanted to see it because I wanted to see if it would change my mind about the death penalty, mm-hmm. if it would change it at all. And it, it did, and I've seen five. It's a very scientific process. But secondly, Everyone I've seen, despite these people saying over the years, oh, I didn't do it, well, so-and-so did it, Every, all the five that I've seen, they've all apologized to the victims on their deathbed minutes before the lethal injection went in. And I was, I was like, hey, I'd, I'd be curious to see if somebody said, hey, you're killing the wrong guy. It's never happened, at Imm- least in the ones I saw. Imminent death brings out honesty. Jeez. Yeah, right. <laughs> One thing you touched on is your CNN, your Fox, your all the big national media outlets that people are honed in on where they're actually watching maybe more TV personalities than actual journalistic yeah. reporters. Are there trends you're seeing in your business that, that really disturb you and things maybe you're even seeing in younger journalists coming up that you're like, man, you know, I don't, I don't like the direction of this. And on the, on the flip side are the things you're seeing that are promising that, that you like to see. I'm guilty of this for, you know, first third of my career. I don't think that younger journalists are working as hard as they could or should. I don't want to indict them because I, haven't, I know a lot of them who are really working their tails off all the time, but to break news stories. I'd work like 20-hour day, but I'd be going here in Nashville. I'd be covering a fire and then filling in here, filling in there, covering the, the stuff that's out there, the low-hanging fruit. I, I would suggest, and, and I try to do it as much as I can, go find the story no one else is telling. And it's easy to say, well, how do you do that? Well, you do it because you create sources, and somebody will call you and say, hey, this is going on, or that's going on. That's a story nobody, no one else has. That's what I don't think there's enough of. You know, I subscribe to the New York Times. I think I read them on my phone all the time. I think the Times are fantastic. They cover everything from parenting to politics to, you know, you name it, travel. And then they have something called New York Times Magazine. I'm sure you guys have probably heard of it. And they'll do a deep dive on something. It's like, you know, 15 pages long. I'll read that on the flight, but it's... It's stuff you're not going to find anywhere else. And they're right. going to go into detail and depth that you're not going to find anywhere else. Then again, they're the Newer Times, too. Right. So they have a couple mm-hmm. more dollars than we do. Pretty good budget. A little bigger staff. <laughs> three or four airplanes compared to our two. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> There's obviously a divide now with how people, you know, you're either one side or you're the other. That's, yeah. you know, that's no big secret. We're not breaking any news here. But do you find that with that divide that people tend to treat you differently now when they find out you're a reporter thinking, I wonder which which side of the aisle this guy stands on. And whereas you may just be trying to get a story and report the truth, that people just on the surface treat you differently because they hear that you're a reporter. Yeah, in, in, in politics, people will, you know, they'll immediately come at me and think, well, you know, what's your angle? What's your slant on this? Well, just watch my reporting. And you can go back and see, you know, you can Google as much as you want to Google and, and, yeah. and find out what you want about me. Um, but I have... I have a lot of really good friends and contacts who are Republican and a lot of really good friends and contacts who are Democrat. They all respect me. They all come on our show because they know I'm going to, if I have a Republican on, I'm going to be tough on them. If I have a Democrat on, I'm going to be tough on them too. I think what people don't realize when they get caught up in the, you know, identity politics is like a bell curve. Far left, you only have what, 20, 25%? Far right, you have 20, 25% of the population. 50, 60, 70% of the population is in the middle, can kind of swing both ways on issues. That's kind of how I am. So That's I, where I, the rest of us are I, at. The, the real world exists. Yeah, on the, that's yeah. where, there's a lot of gray. Everyone thinks it's black and white. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, there's a lot of gray out there. Yeah. I think deep down people know that stuff. But, um, again, I, I try to be as fair as possible to people. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, When I start my interviews, too, uh, if someone comes on to it, especially our, our TV program, uh, Inside Texas Politics, 
I know what I'm going to ask them. I never share anything I'm going to ask them. And there's just going to be hard questions in there. But I'll always ask them before we start, is there anything that you want to get on? Because I appreciate you coming in, being on here, and I'm, I got my own questions for you, but is there anything that you want to let your constituents or let you know people know about that we're not asking? Yeah. And, you know, sometimes they say yes, sometimes they say no. But if they do, if there is something they want to they want to get out there, then I'll try to ask them about a certain bill or yeah. piece of legislation, you know, et cetera. If you're going into an interview that you're doing with somebody, you know, that's going to get tough and get get some some of those moments where there may be a stare down or whatever. Is that some disarming tactics like like that? Do you try to do that on the front end to get people more comfortable? And if this is an interview that's going to be really hard and they know it's going to be really hard, like that confrontation, uh, that uh, story about the judge. Mm-hmm. Uh, the judge wouldn't talk to us in that story, but we interviewed the judge's attorney. And, uh, again, I, I lay it out. I don't I don't mince words. I, this is what I got, dude. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm <laughs> yeah. wrong. And, and that's, that's kind of what he did. He said, uh, and then the interview, it was a little, I don't say it was tense. It was awkward. Yeah. As a viewer, if you saw it, and I can show it to you, it was it was awkward because I'm I'm asking the stuff here and he said yeah well we'll have to look into that I said well we've already looked into yeah, we it we got you covered on Pe- that basis. people are saying this um, but I I don't I always make sure the you know tapes rolling before we start and those they want to say something ahead of time I'm like no 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 just just wait a minute let's make sure that we're actually rolling because I don't want anything to get misconstrued here so I, I give yeah. them the opportunity yeah so, I don't want them to say well you know when we first started talking you I said this and you understood it no let's make sure we have enough yeah, tapes so we all get tape, it. Yeah. exactly. So walking into an interview, asking for a friend here. I mean, uh, how much? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How much research do you do? Like, what's your prep for something like that? And, and do you find yourself more sticking to the the script or like ad libbing as things come up? Yeah, for a political interview, uh, like the political TV show, I'll I'll do all kinds of research. I'll spend two or three hours probably researching Google. I'll look at their Twitter account. I'll see what people are tweeting them about. What if there's a hashtag for them? Uh, I'll look at bills. Uh, I'll, I'll look at their attendance record in the House or Senate if they're in, in the state legislature or if they're in Congress. Um, I'll find as much as I can uh, on them. I'll see if, you know what they've been quoted in. So I'll spend a lot of time for that. For a, a non-political interview is a little harder um, because they don't have the paper trail that politicians have. So you've got to dig in and, you know, let's say we're, we just did a story on a guy who bought a desk at an estate sale, and he— got the desk home he realizes it's loose and he finds a secret compartment in there inside the secret compartment is a bunch of old letters and a passport from world war ii Hmm. they're all written in german well there's no paper trail on this besides what he has and i don't know what he has so how do you do that you find out as much as you can about germany about this little town in germany where the letters are from so you can understand uh you know in in as much totality as you can uh about that Hmm. find out about him where this guy's from uh etc know as much as you can going into an interview some people say no let's just go in and talk well you can go in and talk but if you go in and talk which i'm going to do i'm also going to have a few nuggets that i'm able to ask him about and if he if he or she knows that i know a few things about it then they'll tell me something else do as much research as possible you get better engagement they'll be like oh well he has done a little bit of homework i read that you went to tennessee i'm from tennessee yeah yeah where are you from i'm from here oh yeah would you know so and so no well let me tell you a story about him or her whatever or that place so at least know it. You may never play those cards, but at least know those cards. Yeah. So everybody likes, uh, well, maybe me personally, I like I like train wrecks. So talk, take us back to your interview. That was like that table flip moment of like, man, this went south quick. <laughs> uh, <let me> th- <laughs> um, or have you um, had any videos that, for lack of better words, have yeah. gone viral? Or are you feel f- fearful that one day you will end up in a viral video? No, nah, I mean, you know, <laughs> the, after 9-11, it was... Uh, the Prime Minister of Pakistan, Harman, uh, Afghanistan, Harman Karzai, said, we're on the map now. You yeah. know, it's not how we want to be on the map right. after 9-11, but people know yeah. us, and that means that we might be able to get some aid and some help in here that people ignored us on, countries ignored us on for years. Um, I can't think of one of those moments. I'm sure I've had one. You hadn't had the uh, interviewed the hide your wife, hide your kids guy that goes by. <laughs> one of those? <laughs> I've had things that have kind of taken off on Twitter and a few on Facebook, but they're usually stories that people don't know about and share, like the woman with the breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that story she let us in and into her life on video, which is very rare. So when people watch that, they usually got emotional and they shared it out. So that one, yeah. uh, a lot of people saw. But no, I haven't had one of those. Uh, that was a pretty good interview. Well, I hope I didn't just jinx you. Yeah, right. <laughs> 
first day back to work, I'm going to get one out of the gate, right? You hear a train whistle. Any publicity is good publicity, right? I mean, it's what I think. I've had people go after me. I did a story on the governor of Texas is in a wheelchair, and he was outside a anti-abortion rally. And he, I was... It was a big story, so I was tweeting every comment, every other you know big comment he made. And one of the things he said was, uh, "Even though I'm in a wheelchair, I stand with him today." I'm like, well, that's a, another good quote. So I tweeted that mm-hmm. one out. Well, it only takes one person who just happens to be parachuting into that one tweet, not knowing what's going on. And the way I tweeted it was, um, "Even though I'm in a wheelchair, uh, I stand with him today." Uh, I think I had like Abbott, and which is his name, Governor Abbott, and uh, semicolons. Well, people thought that I was kind of making fun of him. Never mind the five tweets ahead of that or the five <laughs> right, tweets after right. with more I of his saw comments. That one. Yeah. Well, people from the far right went nuts. I mean, they lost their mind. Heads were. You seen the Dave Chappelle skit when their heads? Oh exploded? yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dave Chappelle, so good. It got so out of control that the governor himself, God love him, came in and said, "No, hey, I actually said this, people." And so I retweeted him again. Still didn't stop people. Yeah. But you know that that's one of those things. So people have gone after me. Uh, negatively as well. And I never block anybody yeah. on Twitter. I always mute them. People today yeah. like that badge of being blocked. Oh, yeah, yeah. But if you just mute them, they're just talking out there by themselves <laughs> and no, they don't know that no yeah. one's listening. That's worse because they're like, I can't never yeah. get a rise out of that guy yeah. anymore. I can't and, get Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they're, they're checking like every five minutes. I don't know what his problem is. <laughs> <laughs> I have kind of a random question yeah. because you said something about TV shows and Dave Chappelle and I love it when TV shows or movies actually get things right. So I'm curious if there are any TV shows or movies that you've watched recently where you're like, wow, they really captured what it's like in a newsroom or to be a reporter. Is there anything, I just love the realism in that. Is there any kind of shows like that you watch currently? TV news, probably like police officers as well too, is a lot of hurry up and wait. Yeah. You know, going back to the judge on the ballot. We knocked on that guy's door, he wasn't there, the dog's barking, I'm thinking I'm gonna get bitten by a dog, so um, we, we take off, we drive back by the house five times. Not until later that afternoon does he, this guy show up again. And we're driving by like five or six houses doing the same thing the entire time. There's a lot of hurry up and wait in TV. And the you know three or four or five minute story you might see mm-hmm. was a culmination of like three days putting it together. Right. So that doesn't make for good Hollywood. <laughs> the hurry up and wait, you know, <laughs> True. unfortunately. So you mentioned, I mean, uh, political TV show. I think it's weekly. And then you've got a podcast that's political. Yeah. Kind of talk about both those and how maybe they're different. What's what's a different angle on each yeah, one? Yeah. So the, the the TV show is called Inside Texas Politics. And we have uh, a number of newsmakers. So if there's something big going on in Texas, it's, it's only for Texas. Um, we will, uh, you know, have the governor or a state legislator on or a mayor or something like that. Uh, we'll have them, and we'll talk about a specific issue. It's unedited, um, but the difference is it's like a, a seven- or eight-minute interview. That doesn't sound very long. In TV terms, when you consider the entire show is 30 minutes long, seven, eight minutes is, is you know, minus the commercials. We have 21 minutes and 45 seconds to fill. So we're giving them a third of the, the program unedited. Uh, we'll have a few other contributors in there, and we have a, a segment called Flashpoint where the right and the left get to come up with their own argue uh, uh argument that they will kind of debate back and forth, uh, someone on the right and someone on the left. And the podcast is completely different because I talked about longer interviews in the TV show that are unedited, which doesn't happen a lot. The podcast is called Yolitics, um, and we go out to a, a bar somewhere in Texas, and we're in, based in Dallas, so we have Dallas, Fort Worth, or anywhere else around us. And we'll... Uh, you had me at bar. Yeah. We'll, <laughs> we'll have a beer. We'll talk about the beer, and then we'll have the guest on. And if they can have a beer, then we'll buy them a beer, buy them lunch as well, too, and talk about an issue. So just, you know, people talk about politics. They're like, oh, you're an idiot, whatever you believe. Yeah. But, you know, we try to bring it back a few notches, yeah. shift down to lower gear, have a beer, and talk to someone about why they feel a certain way. You mean get back to the point of what politics is supposed yeah, to be talking about you know, issues or things going on in your community or talking about issues. And it's funny, you know, being on Common Pod, I can tell you this because uh, Common Denominator, excuse me, Common Pod is a production uh, yeah. company. You can finally see the word. Um, but being here, uh, you know, people always ask, well, where are you from, Jason? And my co host is named Jason as well, too. We're born four days apart. It's bizarre. Um, he's from Texas. I'm from Tennessee. And we were interviewing a guy the other day, and uh, uh, the guy asked where we're from. and Jason, the other Jason said, Texas. I said, I'm, you know, I'm from Tennessee. 
And the other Jason, the joke is, he always says, well, we would grandfather me in. I'm like, no, 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 because the original Texans, Sam Houston, Daniel, Cro- yeah. uh, you know, David Crockett, Daniel Boone, they were all from Tennessee yeah, anyways. Yeah. And the guy started laughing said, yeah, no, no, no. Whiteley's going to grandfather you guys in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. As the original Texans. A little known history fact. Yeah, That's right. right. Yeah. Remember the old signs on the doors, GTT, gone to Texas That's during, right. the, during the Depression? Yep. I guess we're getting close to closing here, but what does the future hold for Jason? Are you Ron Burgundy? Are you trying to climb the ladder to be the next great national reporter? Or? I'm Jason Whiteley. <laughs> He'll read anything you put on. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what is kind of, you know, it's hard to talk about your career arc when you're yeah. in the middle of your career, but what, what are your hopes and aspirations is still what I would consider a young person in that business? For yeah, sure. I'm, I'm lucky because I work at a place that, that <clears> lets me do – all kinds of different things. Um, you know, they, they let me stop cover the, the fires to go do a podcast. Um, they let us go do a, a story in, in Arizona uh, a couple of years ago about a, a stolen uh, painting that was found behind a bedroom door. And I'll give you a 10 cent version on that. Guy, uh, guy's aunt and uncle die. This guy in Dallas has, happens to be the executor of the will. He goes and liquidates this, this house over in uh, it's New Mexico. And he liquidates it and gets rid of everything. Two weeks later, the FBI calls and the FBI says, hey, that painting behind your aunt's door, where did she get it? He's like, I know what you're talking about. I have no idea where she got it. Why? Well, it was stolen in 1985. It's worth $150 million. (laughs) They live out in the country in New Mexico, way out. I mean, no cell phone range. So the station I work for let us go cover that story. You know, it has minimal impact to Dallas-Fort Worth, but it's a unique story nobody else is telling. Washington Post picked our story up, uh, LA Times. A lot of people picked that story up. We did a documentary on that. Uh, they let me do a podcast. They let me do a lot of things. So I, I'm perfectly happy in Dallas. I, yeah. I don't need to go anywhere else, want to go anywhere else. Uh, I'm working on a second documentary right now, too, that's, they, you know, put us on a plane to go to Berlin and to Poland for. Sweet. So why would you leave, right? Yeah, exactly. And that kind of touches on one thing we wanted to talk about briefly. We know, of course, we've talked a lot about your career and that whole business, but your other hobby slash love and we know this through adam is is world travel so how where did that love come from is that something you just kind of accidentally fell in love with or how does that well well, growing up we didn't we didn't have a a lot of money to go traveling very much we'd we'd go to gatlinburg we might run down uh 65 to the redneck riviera down to uh, panama city or something like that the miracle strip have y'all been down there oh Oh, yeah yeah. oh yeah yeah yeah. not familiar with that yeah (laughs) I got pictures. Um, so we, we didn't travel a lot. So I was always curious what was on, you know, around that corner on the other side of that hill over there, too. Um, and so we, you know, me and my wife uh, traveled for 13 years before we had kids. Uh, and I always try to take a, at least one big trip a year somewhere, usually somewhere I haven't been. I, I was fortunate enough to I teach journalism in Japan once a year. So I got to see a lot of, of Japan uh, through that. But. It's always good, man. And when you get somewhere else in the world, you realize they're just like us. Yeah. They just want to go home at night. They're tired. They want to get a family. bite to eat. They want to yeah. have a good time. Uh, you know, wherever you are, it's yeah. people are the same everywhere. Yeah. Any advice for people that really want to get into travel? Is there any good just advice? Just go do you it. Could, just do it. Go do it. And stick, stay away from the the tourist traps and the... Yeah, there's there's so much. I mean, you've, you've had the food before, so just, you, you know... People have been to Mexico, I'm sure. You've had the Mexican yeah. food. Go go down there and see what you know. Meet the people. Yeah. Get off the cruise ships. Yeah. Go somewhere and actually immerse yourself mm-hmm. uh, somewhere. We've taken five. I got married on a cruise. We've taken five cruises. They're fun. They're relaxing. Um, but you're on a, a taxi or a tour bus going here and then there and then rushing back to the ship. Yep. Because you're you know you're, you're doing a, something that you paid to go do. So go walk around town. Yeah. Go walk around town. Fly somewhere and and just you know hang out there for two or three days. Yeah. That's fun. Jason, this has been fun. Yeah. I appreciate you, you get anything on, out of man. it? I think we might. Oh, absolutely. I, I think we were recording. I'll have to check that later. Yeah. Oh, you're <laughs> rolling on that? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know we were rolling on that one. I thought oh, it was that's just a warm-up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I guess one other thing I, we always like to kind of ask, if there's somebody that's listening to this or they have a kid that they're getting into this business or, or, or anything, graduating college, trying to break into any kind of business, is there any advice you would give somebody out there that's looking up at the mountain and trying to figure out where to start and how to get going? Is there just any kind of sound one-liner advice that you really think could help somebody out or apply? Yeah, don't wait for an internship. Just just call them up. You know, call up the business you want to work for, the industry you're, you're interested in. Go talk to them. Hey, how do I get into this? What do I need to know to get into this? Not necessarily what I need to major in. What do you need to know to get into it? Yeah. Because Peter Jennings, the guy I looked up to a lot, used to work for ABC News. Mm-hmm. 
he dropped out of school in the eighth grade. He mm-hmm. overcompensated. He learned multiple languages. Um, but it's, it's less about a college degree. I don't want to downplay uh, higher education. It's less about that and a lot more about who you know and how determined you are to, to do something. Yeah. So I, I uh, started working at the TV station in Nashville when I was 18, before I'd, before I'd started college. Yeah. Just hanging out at the TV station. Yeah. So when, as soon as college started in August of 1990, I got a job there making five sixty five an hour running the big studio cameras for Ann Holt and Bob Mueller. Um, <laughs> now, you've got a, now you've got a $50,000 wardrobe budget. Yeah. And, right. <laughs> and, and common pots in a car for me to do. Yeah. So, yeah. So, no mean, doubt. Yeah. There is hope, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, you had to drive the car. Yeah. <laughs> it was a common pod car, but I had yeah. to drive it. Exactly right. I had to open the garage. In other door. words, <laughs> uh, no, nothing has changed. Just keep grinding. That's keep so, keep yeah. doing it, man. And, you know, this, the, the more you're into it, the more you're, you're passionate about anything, the higher you're going to go in it. Yeah. Well, Jason, I speak for all of us, man. Thanks. This has been a blast for yeah. me. And a bunch of scrubs like us. This, this was intimidating for me interviewing a professional. Hope we uh, <laughs> hope we didn't do too bad. Hey, great just, job. Yeah, just don't uh, give us a letter grade. We'll just say. <laughs> <we're doing. laughs> That's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. The denominators are Ryan Smith, Kyle Binkley, Lance Jones, and me, Adam Ray. Thanks to Chet Roberts for providing our music. If you like what you heard, please hit that subscribe button and tell a friend. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at CommonPod. That's C-O-M-M-E-N-P-O-D. And if you have a question or a comment for our group or you'd like to submit an idea for a future podcast, please email us at commondenominators at gmail.com. That's C-O-M-M-E-N denominators at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.